What's up, bookworms? This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with author Peg Tyre talking about the book Strangers in the Night. That book is available now. This was such a really cool and surprisingly really enjoyable conversation with Peg, um, talking about her experience as a crime reporter and how that influenced the book and the Kate Mary character. And also, um, I don't know, it was just really easy to, to kind of venture off and go off on tangents about society today and um, just based on her experiences uh, getting to know people and crime and um, underserved communities and figuring out where that comes from just based on her experiences in her career but either way I'll let you guys get to it here is Peg Okay, so today we've got Peg Tire. We're talking about Strangers in the Night. That book is available now. Um, Peg, thanks so much for joining me today. This book was like, I really, I can be a sucker for like that crime suspense. And um, I really enjoyed getting to know all the characters, even like, I don't know, Dominic, he's a hot mess, but he was probably like one of like one of the more interesting ones. I just like wanted like. I loved getting to know all of them, but yeah, we'll get into it. Um, but yeah, thanks for uh, chatting today. Nice to be here. So um, before we get started, can you give like a summary synopsis of the book so that um, readers or listeners can follow along if they haven't read it yet? Sure, sure. So this book is set in uh, the last great days of the newspapering business. Uh, and it turns out that uh, the character's job was based on a job that I had, which was being a crime reporter at a Metropolitan Daily. Uh, and my job and my character's job is to go from homicide to homicide and basically get the story. That was my job. That's my character's job um, at the time. So the book is really much sexier and much more romantic than many, <laughs> any of the things that ever <laughs> happened to me on the job. But, you know, when you're writing your character, you can create a life for that character that is interesting to a lot of people. So it's about a reporter who makes a mistake and then tries to come back from it. Is afraid of losing it in a desperate way. Gets perhaps a little heedlessly gets involved with some uh, shitty characters and also has some romantic adventures. And it's really about being uh, ambitious and being female and being in a business that is very, was very mean about women. And so, yeah. So it's a little bit about that time and it's a little bit about that time and that industry and it's a little bit, it's about crime and suspense and romance. And it's a little sexy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I was talking to other authors about this. Like some readers, like, I don't know, they, they either just don't have much of a taste for like, you know, the on the page, you know, intimate scenes. But I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I'm on, I, I'm a sucker for them. I like the tropes too. Like not just, I don't know, you could, they call them smut in the, in the reader world. And I'll, I'll, oh. I'll deal with that. I could deal with that, but it wasn't, yours wasn't like smut. It was just like, yeah, like there was physical like connection. There was physical activity on the page. And it was like, it, you know, it's like, as long as it's not like crass or like it, it advances the plot, you know, like if, if there's a reason, there's a reason for it to be there, then why not enjoy it? But I don't know. I guess I just don't, I, I don't understand why readers are like uncomfortable with it. I don't know. Well, such a huge, well, I think it can be exploitative. Like it can be kind of, it can be kind of crude. Nothing yeah. I've tried to, I mean, I, I do write a lot of urban crazy. There's a lot of urban crazy, <laughs> but in the in scenes of intimacy, I tried to handle them very delicately as we all feel very delicate at whatever job we do, whoever we're intimate with, we feel very delicate about those experiences. And so I tried to write them with a sensibility of like, 
that these are important moments. And especially as a as a young woman, I mean, I think that's what motivates so many humans. And to ignore it is uh, silly. Uh, I don't really know, maybe is. not realistic. But on the other hand, if, if a reader is uncomfortable with it, skip through those pages. Yeah, right. <laughs> like skip pages like, you know, 113 to 117. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a good point where it's, um, yeah, it is a part of life. And it's really like, there's a way to handle it. For sure. For sure. Right. Um, I mean, there's some things I read, like uh, from some very popular books that are super vulgar. They're vulgar. And like, uh, there's a lot of things that are vulgar in the book, but that not, I think not the intimacy. I think those are quite delicate. But I have, I have read, I'm not going to mention the names of famous writers because that would be silly and mean, but like there are ways that mm, people, guys write about intimacy that really puts me off. Right. I think like, okay, so that's your perspective. But, uh, tried to catch it from a female's perspective as well yeah like you can almost tell like yeah man wrote this unfortunately or, I know. or yeah <laughs> it depends on it depends on like i feel like maybe female readers are more susceptible to like enjoying it and like they know like i guess maybe they know how to better articulate it whereas um and so because it's like when male writers try to write that they're not necessarily it's like they have to keep the audience in mind right they have to interesting you know, like male readers receiving that or they're going to receive that differently, those kind of details and actions differently than female readers, I think. So I think that's very true. And isn't it interesting, like we shy away from scenes of intimacy, but not violence. Like people (laughs) can have an appetite for extraordinary violence. I mean, I was a crime reporter, so I know from violence, but violence beyond anything that I, you would see in life, right? Yeah. They have an appetite for that, and that's kind of socially acceptable. But the tenderness, the things that make you vulnerable, feel vulnerable, are the things that we have taboo about. That's very interesting to me. It is. It is. It's like the op- It's almost like the opposite of of the extremes, right? The opposite of like on that spectrum of of like human emotion and human contact, and like it's just it's one extreme that way and the other extreme that way. But we don't shy away from one of them. But the other one, it kind of like I don't know, it makes people blush or like, like, ooh, that's like, yeah, like that's taboo or, but it's like, well, it's, you know, it's a part of life. And it's like, we could be, we can handle it with maturity and enjoy it unabashedly. Like not, you know, don't, don't be embarrassed about enjoying reading about sex. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> like it's, there is a kind of whole genre called romance fiction that is yeah. just sex and, you know, foreplay and sex, which yeah. has a huge fan base. So right on. Rock on. Yes. Folks. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yep. The it, it does sell. <laughs> and also some of great literature. I mean, thinking of the Mambo Kings. Mambo King Sing Songs of Love was a National Book Award winner, I think, in the 90s. And literally okay. this book is just about sex. Portnoy's Complaint, again, all about sex. These are like considered like literate classics, right? And they are literally from cover to cover. Just that is so funny. That. And you yeah. know. I think the Mambo Kings was uh, an eye opener for me because I was like, you can do that. Like look at Arthur, <laughs> look at Arthur Miller, look at an Anais Nin. I mean, there's people who have done this for, since there's been writers, I think. Yeah, I know it's, it's, I know you just, I mean, either you have to hit that sweet spot or you have to like do it in such a way that is, you know, revered like that. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um. So you mentioned like your background and I know like just kind of doing some uh, reading up on you, you and your career. 
Um, I want to explore that and like, can you go over your background and kind of like what led you? Because uh, this isn't your first book either, right? But it's, it's your first like fiction, I, I'm guessing, right? right? So yeah, I want to I want to dig in all of that. How how did this okay. come to be? All that good stuff. So I had a job. I I was working at a magazine, uh, a city magazine, and uh, it was just about rich people. And I couldn't. And crack was ripping through my city, and crime rate was through the roof. It was two thousand. It's like two hundred now. It's like two thousand a year, and the city was going to hell in a handbasket. And I just couldn't take it anymore. So I applied to work at a newspaper, which I thought was a little more grounded than this like um, city magazine, which was a lot about getting and spending. And um, uh, they assigned me to the crime beat. So I started on the crime beat, and I had high heels and a fur hat, and I was like all that because I had, you know, I was all that. And then I quickly <laughs> like got rid of the hat, started wearing flats like figured out like, oh my God, this is a totally different world. And I spent like three years at the time when the homicide rate was peaking uh, and the crack epidemic was peaking, just really covering crime. And uh, then began doing investigations uh, because after a while, homicide after homicide after homicide, it becomes a little repetitive. And so I started asking questions like, why is this happening? And who is behind this? And are there larger stories to write, which there were? Uh, and then I covered courts and then uh, organized crime, which is La Cosa Nostra. But La Cosa Nostra was kind of on the way out. So I started doing emergent organized crime. And then as you do, things happen and your beat is carved out for you. So the first World Trade Center was bombed the first time that didn't fall down, but it, a huge they blew a huge hole in it. And uh, I started covering that. And uh, so then I started becoming, I became a domestic terrorism expert, uh, bounced it. My newspaper went out of business, cry, cue, cue mm. the tears here. And uh, because it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I jumped to CNN and became an on-air correspondent to CNN. And I covered organized crime, emergent organized crime, uh, some general assignment from uh, Washington to Maine, uh, and some investigative stuff, which was fun, really fun to do on TV. Uh, and then I bounced to Newsweek, where I wrote cover stories for Newsweek back when Newsweek was a thing. And that was a great time. Uh, large, I, I mean, the problem with CNN was that I had, I started having children by then and I needed to have a more regular schedule. And so with CNN, they would wake me up in the morning, I had a buzzer and they'd wake me up and they'd say, we need you to go to Bosnia. And I'd be like, I don't have childcare, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, what? I was like, so it was constantly like, you know, I actually knew someone who put their kid in um, boarding school because they just oh. couldn't keep a job where they had, it just, there was just no regular hours at all, which is fair. That's what the job is. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Is it fair? I don't know. Like, kind of, <laughs> it's a it, job. You know, it's the nature of the work. Like, you can't have, like, you have to, like crime doesn't have a schedule, right? It's like, yeah, but you could have two people assigned to it as and let them share it. Like, it doesn't have to be so exclusive to women of childbearing. There, there uh, you go. There you go. You we, you got to shake up the system, Peg. <laughs> you, you and me, we're on it. Uh, so then I went to Newsweek, where I had a regular schedule and wrote cover stories, and I ended up covering. Because I was female, I think, and at school age kids, they were like, you cover education. And I was like, really? That sounds super boring. But it yeah. turned out to be super fun because 
I had already covered crime and I knew what happened when schools fail, especially oh, if you know, there you go. Girl, white or black or brown, male school failure. I mean, prisons are full of, of people who don't have men, men basically, yeah. who don't have, who for whom school was not productive. And we have very little safety nets for, you know, working class kids. Uh, so I covered that and then uh, had a big bestseller. Uh, so I wrote a book about terrorism. I published this novel the first, same year and had a baby all in the same year, which was insane. I wrote a second novel and this was part of a series it's, that this also is coming out next year. And then I, I meant it to be like a 10 a ten book series, but I had two kids and a full-time job and I just said, I can't, I surrender. So I gave up, uh, so I stopped writing novels and uh, I started working on nonfiction books. I wrote a book about boys in education that became a big bestseller. I wrote a book about education research, like how to tell if your kid's going to a good school based on like what we know about research. And um, that was, did really well. And uh, ultimately I started working, running a foundation in New York City. Uh, So we run an incubator for education related nonprofits and I help build up nonprofits that are focused on improving education and life outcomes for low-income New Yorkers. So mm. I still do, when I first started working there, I've worked there for like 11 years, and I still did some really long-form magazine pieces, like for The Times and The Atlantic and Politico. But I, since COVID, I've mostly focused on the nonprofit work, which has yeah. been wonderful. I think that's so important. That's so fascinating that you started off with crime, and then you kind of like, you know, you kind of went meta with it and inadvertently like like without really meaning to but it just it made sense to you because you were like well there's something here there's like a connection here that you were probably aware of but then like once you got into it you were like oh like yeah that there's there's definitely more to explore here because i i'm right there with you i think that like you know with all the crime and poverty it's like I mean, poverty is tied to crime. I mean, this is just from what I've, you know, my years on earth and from what I've I've learned in my my sectors of life, right? I have my one experience and I've grown up very fortunate, but I also used to work, I've worked for a nonprofit for like 10 years and um, I used to work for uh, like government subsidized housing. And so I'm aware, and it's a lot of, you know, a lot of those, uh, a lot of the tenants, a lot of the people, they didn't like it. They didn't enjoy having to rely on the assistance. You know, they just, they they did want to like get out of it. And it's just a lot, you know, a lot of them have families or they had, or they were disabled or they were elderly. And they just, you know, like you said, like the system, there aren't safety nets, so to speak, for people who uh, are not fortunate or not well off or not um don't have the resources that that other people have and um i definitely agree that you know school the school systems not enough money goes into those not enough like and i and we like we expect too much too much of teachers for sure and you know it's just like well for, i don't know for me as a parent i'm like oh you know i fall into that where i'm guilty of being like Oh, my kids are in school. They're good. Like that's that's a part of their like that's the education. I don't have to worry about that. But they still need like interaction and participation and support from me, like the teachers do. They need support from the parents. So, um, you know, it's it's those are things that I'm like still learning. But now I'm like understanding. It's it's hard to focus on the big picture when there's so many like circumstances and, um, you know, and that's why I think like it's a crime. It's kind of like crime and poverty. It's like, yeah, they usually crime happens because people don't have what they need. 
um, with the exception of, you know, people being greedy or exploiting things. Um, well, a lot of crime happens on Wall Street, too. I just want to point yes. out that it's not just yes, in games, it does. It's not just in, you know, places where there's low income people. I'll tell you, there's yes. a lot of supports for people who are low income and there's a lot more get out of jail card freeze for if you're yep. wealthy. That's one of the things two, I really, systems. Yep. Yeah, one of the things I really realized is how there are two systems, and you really see that in the criminal justice system. So it was, and it's because they feel like they can get away with it, and they're like, "Well, nobody's, all the watchdogs are on my side, right?" It's like, or they just keep fun funneling money to the people who would. Well, we have a consolidation of power, and maybe I think what they call this regulatory capture. So, like, rich people ensure that they have this gilded place to stand and yeah okay you know that's our society and certainly since the book came out in 27 years ago that has gotten so much worse i know i think that's that so it, i think God, that i can't imagine I wrote, you like writing this book and then re-releasing it and you're like what the hell <laughs> Just, you know i re- i definitely felt like new york was more of a community like we were writing for new york like when we wrote about the city, we wrote about it because we loved the city and we wanted it to be better. And we wanted to point out things that were bad and people who were being exploited. And I just feel like uh, Manhattan has become almost like a tourist town and like everyone else. I mean, there's so many people leaving New York because it's so expensive. Like yeah. it's just become a different, it's just become a way station in a way. I, I really feel like I'm fortunate that I live in a neighborhood, neighborhood, but like that's becoming more rare as people are priced out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I'm in like the Chicago area and I, um, you know, so I, I mean, I'm like maybe less, I don't know, maybe about 20, 25 miles out of like downtown. Um, but yeah, so I'm like aware of like, I mean, yeah, like Chicago, we've got crime and everyone wants to say about Chicago. And I know like, I don't even want to like go into that. Cause I imagine there's like, who knows what's, what's going on. And I think, you know, our current mayor, the, the current mayor of Chicago, he's, he's, he's trying, but he's kind of like got, um, a little like rose colored glasses about, uh, certain things. So I think that's getting in his way, but you were talking about rent. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know how anybody of like, I still have friends, um, and family members who live in the city, they own like a townhouse or they own an, a condo in the city. And I'm like, how, like, how do you do that? Like, I don't understand, especially like someone like me who has kids. And I'm like, you know, we live in a modest sized house out in the suburbs. And even then I'm like, you know what? Like our rent hopefully is going to, or our mortgage payment is hopefully going to stay the same. And then like years from now, like we'll keep earning money and I'm just, I'm, I'd be, I'd be fine staying put. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, big, bigger, bigger space, more space would be great, especially since I don't know, once I had my first kid, it's like I just lost I just lost so much space. Um, but it's yeah, no, I, I totally that's that's consolidation and people getting get out of jail free card and, you know, just be like people getting greedy with with, you know, price gouging and all that stuff. And it's it's like it's something as some not as simple as rent, but it's like it's rent. It's like people need a place to live. Like I think my sister she works two jobs and she a lot of her uh monthly income goes to her apartment because she she lives in the city and she wants to live in like a, a nicer p- area so she has to pay more but that sucks that she has to like work two jobs to do that as a single mom and it's it's so That's right. it's That's ridiculous right. it's like i you know somebody working 40 hours a week should be able to to live and we should be able to afford a place to live like without going over their like what's reasonable 
like you spend what like 30 percent 20% of your income on on rent or on your living situation and it's it's we should be able to do that people should be able to do that and it's so so stupid that people working part-time like if they want just to live by themselves or if they want to own property it's almost like impossible so i, I agree I agree. Yeah, it's only right got I wrote the book. I mean, <laughs> at the time, you know, we had a really great staff and that we were and, and very different than most newspapers because we were actually racially and economically diverse. So mm-hmm. it wasn't all so people would there was a lot of com there's a lot of conversation within the newsroom about how you write about people who are not like you and a lot of like lessons learned and uh, you know people who are calling on others to be more empathic um that's it i mean i have before i started working the crime beat i was like oh everyone who's a criminal is really just misunderstood and then i i did kind of change my mind about that i was just like okay sometimes people are just like evil and yeah and and or mentally ill and just do unbelievably horrible things because i've seen that so yeah um you know i I ended up doing a story about Marion, which is a supermax and in Illinois. And uh, I remember going there and talking to some, it's a terrible, terrible place. And um, going there and talking to some people who are there and realizing like, yeah, okay, this is a terrible place, but all right. I'm not, I'm not too sorry that there's a big piece of plexiglass between me and this serial killer. Like I'm okay with that really. So I had to really change my mind about Marion, you mean like is that the like the state penitentiary or something? Federal, yes, I think. Federal, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's. Just, uh, it's like practically I'm familiar with that. You just never, <laughs> you never see the sun. I mean, it's just it's horrible. And people, you know, you go crazy there because you never see another person. They keep you in isolation. It's barbaric. But on the other hand, I did meet people who are from who are living there, and there's reasons that we have prisons. Yeah. Uh, so I did change my. I went from being sort of like a, you know kind of soft-hearted liberal to being like mm, okay maybe changing my mind here <laughs> yeah i'm i'm right there with you it's kind of like there there's a there's certain like tiers right there's certain categories like there's people who are like nonviolent and they're being treated unjustly like and there's getting... people who are just addicted to drugs or alcohol and eat, yeah and they like, and they of... need intervention but there's not right. like enough society is kind of like well that's your fault kind of thing right right and, and there's also mental illness which is real and we have so few supports for that and you see that yeah. a lot in prison like people who are mentally ill and prison is not the right place for them no but um yeah that's where that's often where they end up if they're not wealthy right if they don't their family doesn't have supports yeah but, if, if they're wealthy and they have mental illness they can either sweep it under the rug or keep paying to keep them out of trouble mm-hmm. or put them in like a cushy facility i mean or... i'm not i don't want to make light of it for anyone it's horrible for yeah. anybody, but um there's just more support uh yeah, but, yeah so i did really that having being on that beat really did change my mind i am against the death penalty i'm catholic so i'm i'm against the death penalty like like kind of in a blanket way like thou shalt not kill seems like pretty clear right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thou <shalt> not kill, <laughs> even if you think think they deserve it right but I have to say there were crimes that I covered where I was like, really? This person is really pushing me to, I mean, I'm sure you've read about things in the, in the, in the paper where you're just like, or, or on a news, news site where you're just like, really, that person should not be among us. But yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, that kind of just, but that, that, that whole, um, that realization that you mentioned where it's like, no, you know what? 
mental illness is a thing. Some people are straight up, they have no value for human life or they're just, they, they got horribly misguided and they didn't have the support to kind of like rehabilitate them. I think that kind of explanation for that behavior helps me, or at least knowing that helps me explain away the behavior and helps me like make sense of it. Like, well, right. you know, yeah. Like how, cause yeah, sometimes I'm like, I hear, a story about like I don't know like or yeah the sensational crime you know true crime stories that go on where it's you know a mother um murdered her six babies or a father you know it just went crazy and he he murdered like his whole family it's kind of like there's not excuses but there's explanations and so that's like I can't it's like yeah like I can't believe it but it's maybe it's like there's reasons for that and trying to like justify not justify that but explain that kind of like helps me kind of like ha not like a peace of mind, but just like how can I reconcile with that? Cause yeah, I'm like, I don't understand how, cause like I'm a mom now and I'm like, even then, even if I don't know, I, I even before I became a mom, I feel like I couldn't, I still, I wouldn't be able to look at a child and, and be like, you know, a, or a vulnerable population and, and, and see like, Oh, I could see why that person killed their child like I, I could never see that anyway but now that I have a child I'm just like it's still it kind of like baffles me I'm like I don't I, I can't get there because I'm like no if so anything tragic. happened if yeah, yeah. if so anything tragic. and those and those poor kids like they didn't they didn't know any better they were just in a situation where or even the kids that get caught up in like custody battles or things like that and you know one parent takes it too far because they don't want the other parent to like they want the other parents to suffer and not get what they want. And it, you know, and that off, maybe that involves murder, suicide or whatever. But I'm like, that's when it's like, it breaks my heart. And I'm like, I can't imagine. Cause like, if any, yeah, obviously if anything happened to my kids, I, my world would be just be shattered. Like, I don't know. Sure. What, I don't even want to think about it. Cause that's so many parents. So the pa nightmares of so many parents, like they, we just don't, it's unspeakable, unthinkable. We don't know what we would do. So when I read stories of like, yeah, like children, being the victims of their own parents like the their own parents are the aggressors and the perpetrators and it's mm -hmm. like i can't like i don't i don't understand that so it's like kind of looking at the person and being like oh they grew up in an abusive household or they grew up you know in a just they, they were raised by a mentally ill parent then that kind of like helps explain it but I want to like be careful about using the words like explain versus like justify. Right. Cause it's right. I don't know. It's like the human brain is such a complicated thing and we don't know what, you know, I feel like we're still trying to understand like, you know, what triggers what path I think. And we, we can notice the commonalities after, after the fact. Right. And, and it's, I think that's kind of like interesting. What, what in, in a way that that kind of impulse motors that like the true crime, genre because people want to know like how could this have happened right and that's their curiosity some of it's the real yearning as a person to know like how could that thing have happened right mm -hmm. and i would say that i think that's really to be respected and really like i appreciate people who have that level of caring for what the human being is what the capacity is of human being of humans to care about that is kind of i don't know it touches me in a way I would say the downside of the true crime, our true crime fascination is I fear that it makes people afraid of each other. Like, you know, in your life, you're very unlikely to run into a serial killer. Like you could read about it, but probably it's not your neighbor. Like probably your neighbor is just a regular schmo, just like you, right? Probably they're just struggling. They have their ups and downs. And I think that there's been 
I worry that people have an idea. People are isolated, right? And isolation is sure. a big issue right now in our culture. We don't have that we used to. And so yeah. people get isolated and then I think they get afraid. And I think they their f- fear is fed sometimes by true crime mm. imaginings, right? Like probably you're going to go your whole life and not be a crime victim. Like you probably you're going to be fine. Right. And I think I worry that it makes people a little like suspicious or a little angry or apprehensive about making contact with other people, with strangers. I'm a big stranger. I'm like the opposite of stranger danger. I like talk to everybody. It's because of my (laughs) journalism background. So I like talk to everybody. My kids used to make fun of me and they'd be like, really? Again, like you're just talking. <laughs> I tease but, my husband sometimes because he he kind of like has a face where people like don't they feel drawn to him like they'll, they'll he gets asked for directions or asked you know for help or things like that, and um I met him through my city and she's like like Tony what are you doing like don't go towards that car if they're asking you for something. I know. I I think, yeah, that's a different, yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I really enjoy that because I'm like, I mean, I appreciate that in those personalities like yours because I'm kind of like, I'm minding my own business. I am not. I'm the opposite. (laughs) I'm not minding anyone's business, but I'm, I'll I'll definitely like ask questions or say hey or, you know, like try and find out about you because I'll tell you, growing up in New York, being in New York for most of my adult life. It's like you never know who you're sitting next to on the subway. Like yeah, you could be sitting next to uh like I w- once met this woman and she was a uh, Chinese Chinese not Chinese American but Chinese and above 14th Street she no one knew who she was. She was just like a regular anonymous person from Chinatown on the subway. She was a celebrity. Turns out she was like a famous actress. Like you just and so what anybody Right. And then when she got to Chinatown, oh, my God, she was like, and like I've like sat next to people on the subway who turned out to be a terrorist. I've sat next to St. Pratt's, right? Bucking for sainthood. Anyway, you just <laughs> never know. And you never know the burdens that people are carrying. Yeah. And how they're carrying them. And it, I really uh, I'm really moved by the experience of talking to people and realizing that there's kind of this everyday heroism like, yeah, yeah OK, I wrote these crime fiction books. And there's like it's big tropes of like being a hero or not or the antihero. But there's also a lot of people who are just carrying a lot. You know, they're just carrying a lot of weight and they're doing it in such with such dignity that I just get so, I guess, get so filled up from talking to people and having them share their life experience with me. I'm yeah, because so... you kind of look at it and you're like, how are you not crumbling in a pile of like tears? Totally. Right like, how are totally. you not... But you know what? They probably do. They, they Maybe they have like a system, you know, where sure. they can, they sure. can, they can let it out and then... Get, you know, pick themselves back up and be on their way and get back to Sure, business. but just that yeah. that someone would share that with me, like I'd be sitting yeah. next to be like, oh, what a weird color outfit they're wearing. I have my little inventory, my little judgy inventory. And then you end up where whatever, what are you wearing those shoes for on the subway? That's so crazy. You know, like whatever, I'm just looking at their outsides. And then you get to talk to them and you realize their insides are so varied and splendid. And like all you needed to do is talk to them. And yeah. you learn so much. And I learned so much and I've been so humbled. And so many times I think I could never have anything to say to that person. And then I think, okay, 
I cannot stop talking to this person. So I'm often like, I'm often, my first impression is probably 90% wrong. Oh, I think, you know, I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of people, we just, I don't know. I think as humans, we just kind of, we tend to, we see, we see one thing and then we kind of like feed off of that. We kind of like judge that versus like, yeah, you have to do a little bit more work to, to get down to like the, the deeper levels of that of that life, you know, and, and also the ability to be to say like, these every you know these no one's different than me, you know, even a person who's in prison behind a plexiglass you know section, they're not that different. They're still a human. They're still a person. They still had many yeah. many experiences that I had. I'm sure some yeah. different, but yeah. to recognize that common human. I mean, that's the way I was raised, like to not to think that people were better because they were rich or worse because yeah. they were like in prison. Like that wasn't raised that way. I was raised like the opposite of that. And so that's really helped me, you know, like that's really helped me in my work to and my in my thinking and as a writer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you have to like give the person the benefit of the doubt to and be curious to ask more questions, because if you make assumptions, then there's you might not ask certain questions. All you just, do when you make assumptions you know, is just confirm what you already think without any right, other information, right? right? It's just yeah, so exactly. it's such a dead end. And so to be able to like interrogate my assumptions and like actually talk to people, gifts after gifts after gifts I'm given when I do that. I love that you see them as gifts. Like oh, you see that totally. you see the value, right? Like that's awesome. As I love a, that. you know, in this book, you'll see that like a lot of people, there's a lot of like stuff that I observed, like it, not all of it came out of my head. Like a lot of it was just like my, the crazy day-to-day stuff that I was seeing, but like so many people were so generous with me, talking to me about their lives, letting me into their homes, talking to me when they were terrified or very vulnerable or in deep grief or freaked out and arrested. Like people talked to me. And that was amazing. That was a, that, and the books ha- have that kind of the books have that kind of like really human quality to it. That quirky human quality that you get when you really, are, when you're really among people, you know, and not just sitting at your desk alone. I think, I hope, yeah. I hope the books. Yeah. <laughs> One thing you mentioned about like, um, you know, inadvertently comparing yourself to uh, people who you spoke to, like behind the plexiglass or whatever. I read a one of the books I read or works that i it's like a picture book but it's um it was called making art in prison mm-hmm. and, by janie paul and it was like basically this uh non-fiction piece she started this program i think at with michigan state like interviewing and she started an art program in prisons and seeing what inmates could produce and like you know with what they were given and kind of not only that, but then like kind of hold like a what to feature in the school and the college from that project. And so these a lot of these inmates, she was surprised that like not only they were really talented, but they were like so uh, receptive to constructive criticism of like how to improve their work. And I'm not just talking about like sketching and painting like they're they would they would like just find supplies what were available to them, like coffee grounds toilet paper rolls they would be using like paper clips or uh toothpaste or toothbrushes things that they like ha- just have that they could, could get from the commissary i think that's the word and i was just like seeing the pictures of these people's works and then she would like feature like a you know a um a piece like a written piece about from that person and her experience to talk with that person. And one thing that she made sure not to do to ask them was, you know, why, why are you here? 
She was like, I'm, and she was like, I have no interest in learning about if I wouldn't want somebody to know to necessarily know about the the lowest point in my life and the worst thing I've done. So I didn't think to ask that unless they felt like they wanted to share that with me, but it wasn't a requirement for them to be in the program for me to speak with them and, and their work and to give them feedback. And some of, but some of the pieces I, that were featured in this book were so like amazing. And, and it really like spoke, it's something that's like the visual, uh, the beauty of the art where it's just like, really like, Oh my God, like, what are they saying in this piece? Cause a lot of it was like, you know, it was reflecting how they grew up back them but it was also re reflecting about how they viewed the system now majority of the people were people of color but i was just so impressed and it really did enlighten my assumption um of like you know do do inmates like you know are they interested in art would they be able to do something it's like probably they probably be able to do art but it blew my mind at how good it was at how profound it was and how resourceful these artists y'all will call them artists inmate artists they were um dealing you know working with what they have because i'm i'm it, it was just so fascinating and it was like i i was just so surprised and yeah it kind of it kind of explained a lot and also just like it was really it had a really positive effect on the inmates too where it was almost it did help kind of like um, rehabilitate them and gave them purpose and gave them something to work towards, you know? Yeah. And, also and I'm very attracted to the col uh, programs in college where inmates can go to college, which is new. Like we just had a law passed that said that the inmates can get Pell grants. So there's a lot of services now, educational services for inmates, which is great. And, and I will say it's really great because it reduces recidivism rate. It's good for people. It's good for our communities. People are released. You want them to have an education so they can get a job. And I have talked to prison guards who say, yeah, nice. This guy committed a homicide. Now he's getting a college education and my kid can't go to college because I can't afford it. And that really was like, that was brutal, right? Yeah. I was like, fair. Okay, that's fair. That's Right, fair you can kind of see okay. it, but it's like, I don't know. I know it's hard. it's hard. And I'm not saying that the inmates shouldn't have it, but I, I understood that guy's bitterness. Yes, right? I understood yes. how I understood that he both appreciated it, but also felt like, what about my kid who didn't commit a homicide? Right. Yeah. And I, I was very struck by that. And yet I'm a big supporter. My husband taught in, in uh, a state prison and uh, you know, we're of course, of course, this is a vulnerable population, but there's also many sides, you know, when you talk to people, People see things differently and I have yeah. to respect that. Yeah, you kind of get, yeah, because you think, oh, this, they're, like how you said, like, oh, these people just give them a chance, just give them the resources. But then it's like, well, what about me, us who have been playing by the rules and we're kind of- Or like haven't committed a crime, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who can't afford college and I get that. Yeah. Right. I get that. Well, and I yeah, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down because college is a stupid like I, I and they, I'm talking about someone who has two master's degrees like the college wow. is so unaffordable. It's so ridiculous, even though it's become like the norm. Right. Like what are your master's degrees in? Um, well, my undergrad is in English. Surprise, surprise, reading books. Um, But my so I wasn't going into teaching. So I had to figure out something to do. And so I got into like web content, that whole industry. And this was mind you, this was like. Oh God, uh, 15 years ago. Um, so the web was very much really different, but it was like, kind of like, you know, it, we were discovering things about web content and how people receive that and how, what that affects 
SEO and all that jazz. So um, I first got my first master's was is called new media studies, but it's basically like doing that, like um, comparing like what when old media when new be new media comes old me becomes old media because of changes in technology and like human computer interaction uh examining like you know the user interface and and um these experience things like that graphic design web content figuring all that stuff out just kind of like set, setting me up so that i i could use my writing experiences and the coming age for the growing industry to where that industry was going. And then my second um, master's is in business analytics. Cause I like, it, it, I was kind of leaning towards the data and, and seeing where data, how big data, like massive amounts of data and what kind of story that tells, you know, and then kind of like, not just the story, but like business side of what does that mean for businesses? Like, and I, I specialize in marketing analytics. So like, you know, like, web analytics, web traffic, uh, social media, things like that, just trying to be relevant, trying to keep up to date on my skills. So, but I'm, I'm debt free right now, you know, aside from, you know, mortgage and credit cards, whatever, but like I have, those are my bills, but, um, I don't have any college debt and student loans because I was really fortunate. My parents paid for half of my undergrad. I paid for the other half uh, through loans. And then my master's degrees, um, I got a fellowship. So, tuition reimbursement or whatever, like um, whatever you want to call that, like they pay for your tuition, they gave you a stipend. And then my second master's degree was, was completely, uh, it was for, cause I worked at the university. So it's part of my employee benefits package. And I was nice. like, well, I'm, while I'm here, I might as well, <laughs> you know, and, and it was through the age of like online classes, it was totally uh, doable and feasible and everything. Um, but now I don't know. People are like, Oh, w- would you keep going to school? I'm like, unless I can get a doctorate for free. I don't, but I don't even know if it would be a, like, I don't know where I would go from here. Um, I had student loans and I was hoping to be a part of that, like forgiveness plan too. I like held off on paying off them completely. Cause I thought, Oh, if I could get this forgiven, like, or wiped off, that'd be great. That's like more money in my pocket. Like, but I'm also like, you know, I paid off my loans and I'm very fortunate, but even then I'm like, no, this is ridiculous. Tuition is so expensive and it's because everybody was so easily granted loans mm. and it, it's all, it, there's no, in terms of, there's no going back now because so many universities are like basing this on, on that uh, model. Right. I don't and think so, people are going to do it anymore. I don't think I people- know. It and might, I yeah, same level of loans that I mean, there's a whole generation of people who just got nailed Seriously. with that, you know. Seriously, and it's it's horrible. And I'm even like, I don't know if my kids, I would love, I def- they definitely have the capacity, and I would, I I want them to get an education no matter what. But if they were like, you know what, mom, I want to go be like a welder, or I want to go be an electrician, I would be like, you know what good for you as long as you're earning an honest living and mm-hmm. you're you know and also like fulfillment is a hard thing to ask but i i would hate for them to be like unfulfilled in their career uh but at the same time it's like well that that's you know hopefully they have the insight or the means to kind of figure that out for themselves otherwise yeah, you know so but who it. knows like a, a college a college education might not be fulfilling either i don't know I'm not so into jobs as fulfilling. I don't really, <laughs> I don't think that's the point of jobs. I don't think the point of jobs is to contribute to the economy and get paid. But I think you want to have a choice filled life, right? Yes. You want to have yes. choices. And that oh, I love that. 
Yeah, like you know what? I love if you that want fulfillment, go to church. If you want fulfillment, go help an old lady. Like you'll feel fulfilled. You want self-esteem, do estimable acts, right? Like you don't look for your job to do that because it's a job. And if your factory closes, you're gonna get fired. So like yes. it's not family, right? So like yeah. the whole idea that you should sink your sort of psychology into your work. <laughs> I'm over that. I'm totally over that. I just think that you what we want for young people is to have choices and to have a have, be in make decisions so they continue to have choices. Right? Ha, yeah, like have like the peace of mind to be which able to with, do that. Which comes with yeah. choices, right? And yeah. that is the skills you need. It may not be college, but it may be getting the skills you need and, you know, even if you want to just do a certificate program to like for one Fine. skill, be the best at your skill and focus on that and be successful. Right. Like so that you have choices to say, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. Right. Or right. like whatever. But I think the whole thing of like finding fulfillment in your work, like, nah, it's not for that. It's gonna, <laughs> you're going to be looking a long time. For oh, that. you're blowing <laughs> my mind right now because I, I feel like I'm, a, I'm in my mid 30s. I've been chasing the wrong thing. I was such a career listen, person for so long. Same, same. But like uh, from my advanced age, I think that like you're I think over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. What can I say? I think it's a bill of goods because I think it just makes you chase things that aren't really it's like going to the pharmacy for oranges it's like i don't think they sell oranges at the pharmacy you know like i don't think that's what this whole exercise of work i don't is think about, i don't right? think they sell happiness and choice at my job like <laughs> <laughs> i hope that your boss does not listen to your podcast oh no uh no i actually that was i think that was one of my like um one of the things that helped me get a new job the job that i'm working at now i actually i actually really enjoy even though uh, some things recently have happened that have really shaken things up that but no i i'm I think it helped me because I'm like, I'm showing that I have a side project and that I have, you know, I can manage time and that I have, uh, you know, people skills because I, I do marketing for my job. So, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and it's 15 years ago, 50, you know, 20 year old. What is it? I don't know. I don't want I don't care about people know my age. 21 year old Megan would have been like still like you know like a new a new lamb like a like a sweet summer child like i was Aww. like i don't want to talk to people if i don't have to oh it, like i don't like but now i'm like no you know what like it's people are just people and i Ooh, don't I, of course of course and i'm yeah. secure enough in myself it's like okay if you think she's if, if people think i'm like a dork or or like weird well. i'm i'm okay with that like i don't Same. Same. Whoever hears this, if you think I'm a dork, like, okay, get online. I'm sure there's other people who believe have the same belief, but I don't care because exactly. I'm just like curious about humans. And while we have a chance to connect, I'm interested in writing about them and reading about them and talking to them. So. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's like a plethora. There's just the, the world is our oyster. If you ever want to talk, just get to know people. Oh, sorry. Just I feel like I could like this conversation could like go off. Nice talking to you. It's such a pleasure. I'm oh, so I'm glad so we're able to catch up. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Um, I just want to like make sure that we get uh, get into the juicy details of your book because this is like mm -hmm. the you know the meat and potatoes here. Um, so with the re like, so this is based on like uh Kate Marie's uh character. She's based off of like your career that you've had in the past, and I imagine. John and then Dominic were just kind of like examples of people that you just encountered in in your experiences. So like any other like what was the research process like? Because was, I imagine like yeah, like did you it was have like to, going like, to work? So in some yeah. ways these <laughs> were like a way of like so I was 30 
I was every all my friends were talking about, you know, does is my wedding veil going to match the napkins kind of thing. Those are the kind of conversations that we were having. And I was like, oh, my God, I think there's someone someone's brains in the tread of my sneakers. Like I'd be like. I was just come every day I'd come home was like being in a war and then coming home and having conversations about like someone's bridal party. And I'd just be like, I am losing my mind here. Oh my so, God. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was Where cool. You're like, don't you realize everybody's murdering everyone? everyone like, oh my God. <laughs> like I'd walk down the street and I'd be like, someone died there, someone died there, someone died there. And oh. so it was really like weird for me. I was like really in a weird space. And now we talk much more about like post-traumatic stress disorder and stuff like that. Like I was like the poster child for that. So writing these books was a was a way of kind of making it into a narrative so that I didn't like totally lose my mind and trying to think about things and trying to think about them in detail in a way to try and like, yeah, it was about processing in a sense. And also trying to make being in this situation, it was such, even though it was really a hard job and everyone was like, ew, I can't believe you do that for a living. I also thought it was such a privilege to be in that role. And I, of course, looking back on it, an enormous privilege and like nobody gets that anymore. Right. So I was like, wanted to sort of market and say like, this is happening. Like, this is really, this is happening to me. Right. And as a writer, like I'm having these experiences. So they're very vivid. The book is very vivid. It's a lot of urban grit, but still romantic and some sexy and also a lot about ambition and what it is to be an ambitious female. Yeah, because Kate is definitely like, I'll be honest, like I didn't agree with some of her choices. I was like, girl, you got tunnel vision right now. Like, because <laughs> she just, she didn't really care about, she she had like her eye on the prize, but understandably it's because she didn't want to, like, this is her job and she she was on, ready to be kicked out the door, right? Like, so As we I- Stressed out. I mean, everyone who's stressed just gets more and more tunnel vision, right? Exactly, exactly. And where she, she just needed- to secure her spot and she was going to do everything that she could to do it. And unfortunately, um, you know, that I, I just remember one of the scenes between her and John and it seemed like things were like really improving between them. And then like something happened, like we're going to, we'll try to be spoiler free, even though the book has been out, <laughs> but, like, but like, it seemed like something, you know, there was just like a piece of conversation that happened and then all of a sudden it was like a switch like she went to like oh my god yes like this is what i need and it was like you guys are just having like a good conversation about like each other and like what this means for the two of you and and i'm sure you know anytime like a, a reporter and a law enforcement um they get involved that's a bad idea no matter what but it was like so i think some marriages have happened some successful marriages have happened it wasn't okay my... i imagine like <laughs> have you encountered that in your in your career yes, where you like notice not personally but it wasn't it wasn't my actual experience i will tell you that i was married by the time i started working on this book so and really married faithfully married so that was not my personal experience but it's fun to have romance in a book especially you know it's fun it's it i think it's good for the makes a compelling driving narrative it does it does and it, 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 it perks i feel like it perks the brains for people who are kind of like it helps switch things up a little bit like how you kind of like the pacing and all that it kind of is like oh are they gonna do it like what are they doing here are they gonna talk are they oh, oh okay go john like 
Uh-huh. I can see you're a really good reader, a really careful reader. I appreciate that. Oh yeah, no, I, I thank you. Um, I don't know. I, I also get, I just, it's easy to get sucked in if it's done really well. And I think even in general, it, I realize like when I have to talk to the authors about it, I'm kind of like see them as like, oh, this is character, this is a person that they built in their head, and it's so I kind of treat it that way. And I'm like, man, I would not have done that. Like I just kind of like kind of imagine or I kind of like uh, admire characters who who do things that I I would be too chicken shit to do i'm like okay <laughs> good for you for doing that that's how you move the plot along because if it were me we would kind of stop right here because i would not be moving on i would not be like you know challenging i don't know it depends on the situation obviously but that's like it's yeah i i think that it's, it speaks to the power of the writer who can create well well-developed characters um it's easy to relate to them in the situations that they find themselves in where you're just like what are you doing or like or you're just like yeah go girl <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna throw a two-part two-part at you the most uh, challenging parts to write versus the most enjoyable parts to write. It was all really enjoyable and it was all really hard. Like I probably rewrote this book five times at night and on the weekends and stole time away from my life to do it. When, even when I had a man eating job and a child. So like, <laughs> and then a child. So like it, it was all really hard. No one is waiting for you to write a book. People, yeah. you know, <laughs> there's like no, yeah, no like yeah. pressure unless you you're on like a specific deadline from like a publisher or something. Even when I was, it was still just like it's all really hard. Um, uh, but I I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. It was huge for me. It was huge for me to be able to publish these books. I and to, you know that's and great. be able to have them reissued is just such a delight. It's like meeting that... yourself. You're twenty. It's like meeting yourself twenty seven years later. Like I can't. Oh, really it, you know. Wow. Yeah, I imagine when you were like you know, you, you kind of refired this up uh, with the whole relaunch or whatever, re-release. You were, I, I, what was going on through your head? Were you kind of like, as a writer perspective, were you kind of like reflecting on 27 years old or 27 year old ago, Peg, or were you like- sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, well, how did that go for you? <laughs> I'm just thinking like, God, three quarters of the things that obsessed me were meaningless. That's what I thought. Like, ah, oh, God, why did I even worry about that? And, you know, I hope that when I look back on my life now from 27 years forward, I'll say the same thing. Like, why did I even bother with that? Like, <laughs> you know, I think the things that the anxieties that plagued young women are like, they're so real. And like in the big picture, I had no idea that things were going to work out the way they did. How would yeah. I know? I had no, um, yeah, I had no faith that things would work out in any way. And I have great compassion for that character and for that that writer and that moment in time. Uh, I really see the, I really see what's great about the books, really great about the books. I really see the flaws like in a glaring way, but I have compassion. You know, it's like that was hard work and I think it holds together really well and I'm proud of it. Yeah. Glad I did it. Yeah, I I imagine that, yeah, you were still kind of looking back and be like, oh, unfortunately, it's still pretty, like, relevant, believable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you hope readers get from your story? I hope that women who read the book see that sex, especially young women, see that sexism is not so far in the rearview mirror that... These things really happened. 
and the Me Too movement's great. And I'm so proud of our young, you know, of the young women who push that forward. But it's not that far away. And those battles are still fought in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Uh, I hope that women who read this book, who are ambitious, feel a little less alone. They feel a little less uh, that if there's an un- it's hard to be there's an uneasy relationship that young women often have with their ambition. And I hope this gives them some comfort that you can make a lot of mistakes and still be OK. And I hope that people have a really good time. I hope that they have three hours or five hours of reading this book and just thinking this is a great this is a great trip to the circus and a, <laughs> a view of life I've never seen. And it's provocative and funny and gritty and romantic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like, I don't know. Cause you, you give us, you give us a little love triangle, like kind of a love triangle. So it's like, but you know, readers are kind of like, at least for me, I'm not going to speak for everyone else, but I was, I was kind of like, Ooh, what's going on here. But then when Dominic came along, I was like, Oh girl, like what? <laughs> I was just, even though, I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed, I don't know. Un- <laughs> I don't know if this is unfortunate. I enjoyed getting to know Dominic a little bit more than I enjoyed getting to know Kate and John. Because even right. though they both ha- are are, are kind of like have have uh, you know a lot of going on under the surface in their own right, with Dominic, I don't know. He was just he was a, a wild card, and he he also had a little bit of tunnel vision too, or he just wouldn't let go. And it was like, dude, like you could be so helpful right now if you kind of just read the room like <laughs> you just like kind of got on the same page with the, the same time it's kind of like we're you know diving into that psyche what what was he used to what did he see as acceptable behavior like what did he see as like the repercussions he didn't care you know he didn't care about the backlash of his behavior things like that so it or he didn't have options it's like most people who commit crimes really most people who commit crimes really have a failure to think it through i would have to say that as a rule that has been my observation like dude think it through you take that money from the bank and then what happens right yeah (laughs) you're living your life in hiding and then you gotta like Like, spend your money on like you get 150, you know, you get $100,000, but you're going to spend 50 years in prison because it's a federal crime. Like, yeah. It's, or if it's you're, a- you're going to be in hiding all your life or you're going to spend half of that money on plastic surgery. So you're not recognizable. Like, I don't know. Like what <laughs> it's. Yeah. Is it worth it? No, probably not. It's I don't know. Or or we could get into it, but it's like, oh, is it worth it for the people who would love to just live on their own and be able to afford what they need. Like, I don't know, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's those violent crimes where it's like, dude, like, come on. Like, I don't know, but that's just my mentality. Obviously some other people, people in the the crime rings, they, they just see like, no, screw it. You know, I won't ever understand that. So I'm going to, I'm going to also throw uh, a couple more, we just a couple more questions before we wrap up. So I'm going to throw this at you. Another one. What advice do you have for Kate? What advice do you have for John? What advice do you have for Dominic? Oh, my characters? Stay tuned. You'll see because there's another book coming out with these two of the same characters. Oh, nice. I'm not going to give it away. Buy the book. It's called In the Midnight Hour. And uh, you'll see what happens next to them. And you're right. The choices that Kate makes are often influenced by tunnel vision. And I think that in the second book, she kind of comes to terms with that. 
Good. I'm a I'm a sucker for character growth. I'm like, <laughs> so okay, because that's so funny. Because I'm like, I'll ask authors this question, and they ask like, wait, at the beginning of the book or at the end of the book? Because if uh, they listen yeah, to yeah. my advice at the beginning of the book, there would be no book. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. Right. So I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's it's really interesting to hear some authors like answers where it's just so, probably one of the funniest is I've heard is just like, oh take it down a notch like <laughs> like or grit get a grip or just i would just give them a hug like I... <laughs> i'd give all my characters a hug but dominic from a distance yeah and, right and like air a, hug. A yeah. yep air right. hug virtual hug just yeah, be virtual. like yeah he comes across as somebody who'd like you try to reason with him but he he's too far gone i don't know he was just still he, he I, I still liked getting to know him i don't know if i met someone like him i'd i'd probably just yeah like be like an observer just be like i will be nice to you because i'm afraid of what would happen if i'm not but then i was also like i don't know i would say kate was nice to him and then look what happened but no she she kind of let him on so never mind it's more I'm, transactional i think yeah yes yes and that's like the tricky part because obviously you you she finds value in it but she definitely, uh, who knows how you should go through these things, you know, how she go about these things. Where did you ever in your career? So, um, did you, did you encounter that where you kind of like had to keep yourself a safe distance from like an informant or like the tips or some people like that? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's so fascinating. I feel like we could just talk about, you could, you should write a memoir about your career. I don't think <laughs> I think I'm just gonna play with my dog and maybe write another novel. <laughs> yep, just 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 live vicariously through Kate Murray, and you know. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, hey, I, I'm all supportive of that. I play with my dog and be on my way. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I super appreciate it, though. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. With that being said, um, you talked about your upcoming book. Any is that what you're currently working on that you could talk about? Uh, so I have a book. The 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 next in the series is going to be re-released next year. It's called In the Midnight Hour. Right? Again, a 27-year-old book, 28-year-old book that's being, no, 27, so it'll be next year. And uh, so I'm super happy about that. And uh, working on maybe another project, not quite sure where it's going to go yet. Still more education related, not quite sure where it's going to go, but still, still developing it, but still writing, still reading, still really yeah. appreciate that, you know, the writers around me and the what they put into it and the readers who reach out to me if anyone is listening to this and they want to reach out to me i'm love to hear from you so i'm not that hard to Abs find absolutely. use your investigative powers and track me down i'd love to hear from you. <laughs> absolutely yeah uh piggybacking off of that where where can readers find you online or on social media i have a pegtire.com you can find me that way Perfect. Perfect. Um, Peg Tire, thank you so much. Strangers in the Night, that's available now. Um, looking forward to more adventures with Kate. And yeah, like I said, uh, this book, it, it suck. if you're a sucker for uh, crime fiction, <laughs> if you're a sucker for crime fiction, if you're a sucker for suspense and thriller with a little bit of romance sprinkled yeah, in. Yeah, I think that's this, right. Think that's yeah, right. this is yeah. definitely the one for you. Um, and I, yeah, whenever you get your other works published, feel free to come back. We'll be happy. I'll be happy to chat with you again. That's so nice. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. 
And there you go. That was Peg Tire talking about Strangers in the Night. That book is available now. Go ahead and check out the show notes for links to buy the book and to follow her on social media. Rate, review, subscribe. Please, please, please find Cantina Book Club on all your social media, Facebook, Twitter, slash X, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, I will try to get some YouTube content out there for anybody who's interested in checking that out. But either way, please make sure that you do find the accounts and follow them. It helps me out while you're at it. If you find, um, if you need any book recommendations, go ahead and hop on over to Cantina Book Club to read the book reviews, pick up a book. And if you like the book, if you like the author, please go on and hop on over to Amazon and Goodreads to give them a review. It helps them out as well. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening.